the hell out of here with that. Oh my <laughs> God, dude. Sharon and I are here today with Charles Bertu, bassist, multi-instrumentalist, composer, and YouTube creator. He was born in England, moved to Boston to attend Berklee College of Music. He's often recognized for his ferocious slapping and two-handed tapping techniques, but also his incredible content creation, which hides musical commentary beneath a thick layer of virtuosic playing and sarcastic parody. He has a brand new signature bass out with Schechter, and we're going to talk about absolutely all of it today. Charles, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's awesome. Let's dive in. This is something that you put out fairly recently on your new bass. Yeah. On your YouTube channel. Let's dive into this track, and then Sharon and I have a million things we want to ask you. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, that last chunk is like the most pyrotechnic, unbelievable thing. And it's in time and it sounds good. And like, there's so many things. But when Sharon and I were watching that, I was like, what I wanted to know from a player perspective, mm. right? Is if I wanted to like get that level of facility, if I'm like, I want to do that, I want to tap like that. I want to slap like that. Give me the first thing that you would show me or show the community to ascertain just a little bit of tapping intelligence or facility on the instrument. What is the first thing that you'd say in terms of tapping? I wanna know. I would say the first thing is just to get some basic chords down, like just some really nice like major 10th stuff. Like major 10ths are just a nice interval on bass overall. Yes. But just like these kinds of things like. So Charles, break that down. You're, are, you're playing a root and a five and then what, nine, 10? Yeah, yeah, sliding nine up to 10. Yes. And yeah, it's, it's so fun to just play around with those types of chords and they're not too tricky. They've got nice spacing, which is very important on bass. You've got to have that, the width to those chords. Otherwise it can start sounding muddy pretty quickly. Right, um, like a spread of the intervals. Exactly, yeah. You don't yeah. want close voicings too often with bass unless you're quite high up the neck. Sure. But yeah, messing around with those, that's what I did when I was first starting with tapping. Um, and you can just have a lot of fun with it. It's You can just mess around with that and that's going to get the feel for tapping pretty quickly. Yeah, okay, cool. I love that. How about two? I'm going to ask you the same question, but with slapping, right? So... What is the first thing that you did or that you would advise people to do if they want to get into thumb playing? Well, what I did, I started off with flea stuff. One of the first slap bass lines I learned was higher ground, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like all of that, all of those kind of just like octave slap bass lines, that's a great place to start because Octaves are everywhere in slap. It's something, you know, the interval's nice and easy, falls under the hands nice and easily. And it's just another one of those things where you can just kind of slap like crazy, do octaves everywhere, and it'll sound pretty decent no matter what you're doing. <laughs> 
so you started and you're doing the flea thing, right? You're playing higher ground. Are you bouncing at that point or kind of thumb down like flea? And then when did you transition? Because you can double thumb like Victor, like a beast too. So like, when did that evolve in your playing? I was definitely, I was doing thumb down initially, uh, because that's what flea did. Yes. <laughs> and also that back then I had my bass really low, like, everyone does when they first start because it looks cool. Because it looks so cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I slapped like that for probably, I'd say, the first like eight years of my playing. It was a long time. So then when I realized that as cool as it looks and as cool as it sounds, it does limit you. Uh, it's You can play flea stuff great but it's really hard to double thumb. So when I realized that and I started getting really into Victor Wooten and Marcus Miller and stuff, that's when I was like 18 or 19. So yeah, I'd been playing bass for about eight years. Um, that's when I realized I was gonna have to just learn how to do this kind of whole new slap technique. And it felt really unnatural at first. And for a, it's one of those things where my playing almost had to get worse before it got better. It's like, right. I, had, I felt like a beginner for a little bit took a good year and actually scott said that too i remember scott had to go through this exact same transition yes. uh, after about a year it started feeling more natural again and then now d the double thumbing comes so much more easily right for me too i remember there was a i was trying to do it a different way i was doing like a slap thing where i was hitting with my thumb and then hitting with my middle finger alternating that way and i oh, thought no. oh yeah that's cool and then there was a guy in a music shop that i worked with that was just a beast on double thumb and it was so much better sounding <laughs> like it sounded so funky and i remember thinking yeah. damn it like i want to do that and it took me about a year or two did it hurt for you in the beginning it like hurt Oh, me. the double thumbing hurt, definitely. Yes. Yeah, it, it's weird. I, like, I remember when I first started trying it, I thought I didn't know what Victor was doing because I was like, he can't, he can't be doing this. Like, this is so painful. Like, surely <laughs> right. he's not putting himself through this pain every time he plays. But, you know, then I just thought back to how I had pain when I was first doing finger style. And, right. and I realized, yeah, he's probably just built up some calluses on like the front of his thumb, which is not <laughs> right. something I really thought you could do. Um, but yeah, the pain just kind of stops <laughs> after a it little does. bit. <laughs> it's so weird because yeah. I remember thinking this sucks. Like it's awful, but then it kind of just does subside. I don't feel, I mean, I don't do it a lot, but um, I don't feel like I ever even really like, there's no big callus on the side of my thumb or anything. It just sort of like stopped hurting. Can you yeah. demonstrate a little bit of the double thumb thing or like how you would show somebody that wanted to start out? Give us a little demonstration of like going from thumb down to mm. thumb parallel and through and then up. Like what, what does that look like for you? Yeah. I mean, honestly, the first thing I would do would just be, and this is actually what I did is just relearn the slap baselines that you've learned with thumb down with thumb up because it's a bit too much of a transition i think to go from thumb down to just straight up marcus miller double thumbing first of all learning to slap with thumb up so th that's what i did with higher ground like before i was going like this like it's hard to do with your bass like at kind of a higher length but it's like So then that's one of the simpler slap bass lines. So I just thought, okay, I'll start by trying to learn those types of bass lines with thumb up. 
And then after that, I just started trying to do some more simple double thumb type bass lines, just like. Like literally just simple exercises like that. And then I tried to bite off more that I could chew and I tried to do uh, classical thump, <laughs> which is <laughs> a little bit of but a man, leap. <laughs> I've heard you do that though. I mean, I watched that Dead Wax or Professional Musicians React, I believe as it was first called yeah. with Jack Conti and Ryan Lerman, man. I mean, I loved that episode that you were on. Oh, and you. I mean, what a flex, dude, like coming in and they're like, the foremost uh, internet expert on Victor Wooten is here with us to, you know what I mean? And you're just like, play, you're like, could you show that? You're like, of course. Right. <laughs> but that's crazy. I mean, classical thump, would you mind just giving us a little sample of, of that? Do you, do you still remember that? Is yeah. that in your bones? I haven't played it for a while, but I, I could probably still do it. It's like. So, Charles Bear 2, goddammit. <laughs> I can probably still do it. See, I haven't played it for a while, but when I did play it, I I drilled that for like three months, like yes. two hours a day. So it's like, I'll probably never forget that one. <laughs> show, show us though the evolution. Like, you know how Victor does it. Will you just show us, and, and would you mind like slowing it down a little bit? Like play mm. the singles, do the doubles, and then get into the triples? But yeah. just like at a lower tempo. Like yep. how you would have maybe practiced it in the beginning. And then you're like, should I go into the next section? Because I know it. <laughs> Man, that is killer. It's so clean, too. It's so clean. Thanks. And, you know, when you were saying, like, going down and up, you know, just some simple exercise, would you also just be willing to, you know, take one note and play so slowly down and mm. up so that people can see sort of the mechanics of how your hand tackles that? Yeah, sure. So, like, just... So you're going straight through... And then are you pulling back up with like the meat of your thumbnail? Yeah, it's definitely mostly nail. Yeah. Yeah. And you're way behind the fret too. You're like back an inch maybe past that last fret, right? Yeah. Kind of in the gap. The thing about the double thumbing is it's, it's painful, definitely, when you first start. And it takes a while. You've got to really get the exact right motion because it's it's vastly different to kind of like you've got to get the right amount of wrist, basically. Like, yes, sometimes I think I did this where I was like, go I was going like more like I see bassists do that and it sounds and looks great. But for me, that just didn't work. I don't know why. I just never was really getting it down with that type of motion. So I found that once I was getting my wrist more involved, everything started feeling more fluid. Interesting. It's yeah. like that Corey Wong thing, right? Where yeah. He, where he talks about like turning his wrist into just cartilage. Yeah, I've never heard him say that, but it makes so much sense. 
I, I saw I saw a video of him the other day where he was just doing like crazy fast triplets so perfectly in time. I was looking at his wrist and it's like you said, it just looks like this. It just looks like this. Yeah, exactly. It's just <laughs> it's like a blur yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah. the amount of yes. flexibility was just crazy. <laughs> Do you ever play with a pick? A bit. Um, I, I'm not that proficient with it. Uh, but there have been times because I, I do some session work uh, online and sometimes the song, it just has to have a pick. It's right. like I, I force myself to do it and it feels weird and unnatural, but it's just it'd just be such a shame to not use a pick on that particular song. Having as many of these types of skills available is great, not only for session work, though, it's great even if you're doing crazy weird solo stuff like me it's uh great to have a wide range of tones available but in session work it's um it's a bit of a buzzkill if you can't do that type of thing like play with a pick if it yes. if the song needs it right and i bet it it's rare well probably now i would imagine people come to you to play to do your thing to play tapping figures slapping stuff but like in the beginning you know people want you to play bass yeah. And you, it's a bummer to not be able to do anything that's oh, asked yeah. of you. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's such a sad feeling. It's certainly, certainly happened to me. And Sharon, you've been on a pick journey recently. I have been on a pick journey. Yeah. You've been working Ooh, it out. It's like the double thumbing. <laughs> it's like, right. It is. It's like as awkward when you begin with a pick yeah. as awkward as double thumbing is. Yeah. yeah, totally. I think also depending on what styles you come up in, it's like less common less required for so sure not mm. like i was not i was never even faced with it probably until berkeley and then very rarely just because i very much hung in like the middle eastern fusion section right it's or if like you come up in like gospel church you know you're never asked to yeah. play with a pick i mean almost never but yeah if you come up in wide varieties or like ccm or rock and roll indie then it's it's very it's very prevalent yeah. Mm. Charles, I want to ask you about this because it's so fun. When you hit a wrong <laughs> note in classical versus jazz, this video killed me. <laughs> uh, let's watch a little bit of this. And then uh, then, then I want to ask you about your childhood. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Look what you've done to them! I'm sorry, I just got nervous and- You were the chosen one, Charles! You were supposed to bring balance to the music, not throw it into darkness! Thank you for the Star Wars reference. <laughs> what are you reference? talking about? I just made some I'm glad you picked up on that. <laughs> Your mistakes resulted in some of the darkest sounds in the universe. Chromatic approaches, altered scales, and the interval that must not be named. Tritones. Ah, don't say the name! Don't say the name! And now, Winston's dead. And his blood oh. is on your hands. I am so sorry. I had no idea that was even... No wonder you have no friends, you sad, worthless waste of space. No wonder you've never achieved anything in life and wake up every morning wishing you were someone else. You, my friend, will die sad and alone and there'll be no one there at your funeral. <laughs> I mean... Dude, first of all, R.I.P. Winston. 
Yeah. I awesome. seriously, you need to get that merch. I would buy it. Just make like an R.A.P. Winston thing. Make it a hashtag. I would. Yes. I would wear that. I mean, Sharon was like last night. Sharon was like, "How fast can I get an R.I.P. Winston T-shirt for the shoot tomorrow?" <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved that. That'd be so funny. <laughs> How does it feel rewatching this? <laughs> uh, it's it's so funny. It's one of those things where it's sometimes YouTube being doing so much stuff on YouTube. It's like a little bit surreal because you're just seeing you know numbers and people online and stuff like that. But when I watch something like this, especially something where I'm kind of acting and doing weird stuff, when I watch it with people in real life, it's like, I don't know, it's just one of those things where I'm like, oh my God, real people are actually watching this, you know? (laughs) (laughs) They're actually seeing me do this like really cringe acting and stuff. And so it's, it's so funny. Well, it's like, it's so funny. And I feel like it's, you know, it's poking at something, you know? Mm. And what I wanted to ask you is, does this speak to your upbringing at all? Do you, did you have an intense, um, childhood of recitals? Because this just seems like really like a recreation of the nightmare of a recital. (laughs) uh yes so i did have a lot of recitals at my school growing up and yeah i I did get pretty nervous for them um and i think what really drove this video though was you know I, i learned a lot of classical music. That's actually my first instrument was classical piano. I, I, I learned a lot of classical music growing up. And then when I went to Berkeley, when I was like 19, that was quite a culture shock because, I mean, not only being in a new country, but also just jazz is so incredibly different from classical, yes. especially the improv aspect is, I was not prepared for how much you have to improvise in jazz that's just something that we didn't really do at my school so when i got there and they put like a chord chart in front of me i I just see chord symbols and slashes right so what do you want me to play like (laughs) amazing i think it's so hilarious the different views that classical people have versus jazz like and neither one is necessarily correct or better than the other i just think it's so funny that like some people they get like really, really hung up about wrong notes and mistakes. And then right. other people absolutely love wrong notes. Like, it's, you know, wrong notes in whatever context. It's just, I think it's so funny that there can be two such completely different views on music that are both kind of equally popular and equally accepted. Hmm. And I mean, in a jazz context, it's not so much like, I think there is this sort of meme or misnomer that in jazz, it's like, oh, you can just play any notes you want and they can all be wrong and people will love them. Obviously, that's not what you're saying. It's more like things outside that as long as it's intention with resolution, you can get away with almost anything, right? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't consider myself an expert in jazz harmony. Like there's I grew up with classical harmony, so that's much more embedded inside of me, I would say. Yeah. But you can definitely get away with a lot more in jazz. Uh, <laughs> sure. And playing with confidence it definitely allows you to get away with a lot. Yes. Um, uh, there's definitely times where I've like 
it's like in that in the video it's like there have definitely been times where i've hit a note i was not intending to hit but if you just kind of like really lean into it and dig into it it just kind of starts sounding cool after a while sure yeah (laughs) and that's that victor wooten thing too right of like any note can work as long as you're playing with confidence and as long as there's some kind of resolution Mm. right like, I, I think that that's the key, right? It's almost like if, as long as you're going somewhere, if you resolve on a, on a terrible thing that can vary, that's hard to make land. Yeah. But as, but if you get to a target note via a lot of wrong notes, I don't know. I think yeah. that's the ear allows it, right? Yeah. I watched Wooten's, uh, groove workshop DVD yes uh, yeah of course, <laughs> of course. that's like, a huge one for me too yeah no i feel like that's kind of a staple for bassists um but his demonstration the, the whole wrong note you're never more than a half step away from a right note that that was such an eye-opener for me it's like that's just it's just such a crazy concept it's like you can just kind of hang out on a quote-unquote wrong note for a while and then if you just like slide it up or down then you're back on a right note <laughs> Right. Oh, I love it. And instead of freaking out, right? Like, oh no, like, you know, that's, that was me. I'm I'm still me sometimes. Like if I play something wrong, I'll like, ah, I'll like, let go. (laughs) I'll like get off the ride. Yeah. Versus no, like stay there and then move it one direction or another. Chill out. Like no one's going to die. Winston is not (laughs) going to pass away. (laughs) That that was all, it was all fictional. Yeah. It's not, it's not real. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so many things like high risk intonation maneuvers at the end of that piece, right? (laughs) I mean, it's so high risk, no lines, you're on this thing. Um, You know, obviously it's a journey, but could you talk about something that you did early on with Fretless to um, combat just what everyone experiences, which is just always being out of tune? Like, do you have any intonation tips, tricks, exercises that you worked on? I would say one of the biggest things that you should do to start getting good intonation on fretless is you've got to be playing with accompaniment. You've got to be, don't practice completely on your own or just with a metronome because then you don't know if you're in tune or not. So that might sound obvious, but it's something you don't think about when you're playing a fretted bass. Um, right. And try, if you can, try and play exercises where your exact part is in the backing track so that you can literally hear your intonation against every single note. You're not just hearing it against like the chord because that's another thing is like it can sound decently in tune if there's just the chord going on. But if you were to double it on another instrument, then you would suddenly realize you're actually not playing that in tune. So when you arrange something like this, 
Are you arranging it first? Like, did you first put down a fretted track? When I'm arranging stuff, I basically always arrange it on the instrument that I think I'm going to be playing it on. Because, and especially something like fretless, where there's kind of a different sound, there's different things that sound nice on fretless versus fretted. If I'm doing something that I know I'm going to do on fretless, I always arrange it on the fretless immediately. Because, like, some of the slides, some of like the slow slides wouldn't yes. sound that great on fretted, right. but they sound so nice on fretless and it it just wouldn't be that easy to do those kinds of arrangements if I didn't just immediately do it on fretless. Yeah, different instruments like inspire different movement, different like dynamics, everything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Actually, this is just reminding me of another uh, podcast I think you did with Marcus Miller where he was talking about you've got to be writing for your instrument. Ooh, and that is something that you do so well. I think Marcus even described it as like a celebration of the bass. Like, you know, when you hear players that are really like honoring the bass, you know, the, the classics like Larry Graham, of course, Victor and stuff, it's like a celebration of the bass. And you are like the continuation of the celebration. Like the party's not over, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, it's six in the morning and party. the party is not over. Well, thank, thank you for saying that. I mean... I think sometimes, I think that's something I've been doing more recently, I have to say, because I've, I take inspiration from all instruments. And I think there, I definitely have stuff that you can tell is more sort of guitar influenced. And I've actually been exploring, making a bit more of a conscious effort to do stuff that celebrates the unique qualities of the bass more. Yes. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, and it's so clear to see. And I mean, I feel like that's an incredible segue into the next tune. hell out of here with that oh my <laughs> god dude <laughs> that last riff is there any chance i'm so sorry to put you on the spot but you have that bass do you do you remember that last incredible pyrotechnic riff even mm -hmm. if it's slower or whatever yeah i, I think it's a <laughs> Whoa. God. I mean, like, I'm like, even if it's slower and you're like, oh, no, 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 no. How about faster? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's crazy. So is that a combination? Could you slow? <laughs> it's just like incredible that you have all this facility. It's so fun. I feel like, I feel like you're like a, like an app that I can just slow down like on demand. <laughs> That's so incredible. That is a skill that not everyone has, but could you, could you bump that down a little bit and, and dig into what you're doing there? Yeah. So that bit, I'm literally just running up D minor pentatonic. I'm just, I'm just yeah. doing like basically all the shapes. So I'm just going. Oh, yes. uh, oh. Um, and then like a little bluesy thing at the end. Yeah. So. Yes. Yes. And it's in triplets, but the groups are four. So that's what gives it that kind of slightly off 
effect. Like it's like yes, yeah. <laughs> and do you when you're writing something like that? And you know we're coming up to the culmination. We're coming up to the climax of the of the tune, right? And you're going to put in something like that. Are you are you thinking shapes? Are you playing shapes? Are you hearing it? Are you thinking a melody? And like you, how how do you write that? Like what's the process for you writing a riff like that? I often like to have a crazy climax like that at the end of some section. Um, and usually I'm just hearing it. Uh, I do have kind of pet licks that I use sure. a lot, uh, but often I just find, I often try to make melodies and riffs that I think are kind of singable. And so I, I try to just hear as much as I can in my head, as opposed to like, I, I wanna insert this thing that I think just sounds cool, but maybe not thinking about the context as much. I, I try to, let my ear guide me in terms of those types of writing decisions. I love it. And then you've got drive on this and wah. Um, do you, did you come up feeling reluctance to effects? Did you come up thinking like, oh, clean bass is cool? Or were you always like experimenting with pedals and plugging things in? What was that journey like for you? It's definitely something that goes in phases for me. Like, I, I'm in a little bit of a pedal phase right now, I would say, but there have been times where I've been exper like pedals have been the main thing I've been focusing on. I'm just like experimenting with crazy sounds. Um, I went through a quite a long period where I barely used pedals at all. Everything was clean, and I would I definitely wasn't reluctant to get back into pedals. It's just something I kind of forgot about. It's like, <laughs> I forgot it was an option for a while. And then I was like, one day I realized I hadn't done anything with pedals for a few years. And I was, and I was just, <laughs> I, I don't know why I did that. I think I was so focused on technique and stuff yes. and getting really good at slap and stuff like that, where you're not necessarily using effects that much. Right. I think I got so deep into that world that I kind of forgot the pedals existed for a while. And now I've been getting back into them more. Yeah. Do you have anybody like as you were growing up, was there anybody that influenced you with pedals? Um, anyone out there that you were like, oh, I want to sound like this? I mean, early days, Cliff Burton definitely was a big influence with like the distortion and the wah and all yes. that stuff. So <laughs> I, I definitely had a Cliff Burton phase, like I think most bassists do at some sure. point. Um, he, so he was probably my biggest one in terms of effects. I'd say Flea influenced me to do some like slap with wah, yeah. uh, like coffee shop, bass solo, that type of thing. Yes. Um, yeah, those are some of my biggest. Victor got me using reverb a bit on tapping. Uh, that's something... A lot of bassists never use is reverb and i know why it's like you don't you usually don't want to use it on a bass line mm -hmm. it, it usually muddies things up but i think when you're tapping and doing soloistic stuff especially solo tapping having no reverb i i wouldn't do that too often i i always like to have some reverb when i'm doing solo tapping it just gives it that ethereal feel which is very important yeah absolutely i mean and I think too, probably doing some sessions, you've thought about sounds in a way. I mean, that's what brought me into effects was think, you know, someone wanting a gritty thing. And I'm like, well, hard to get gritty without 
some distortion or, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's such a fun road. I, I am absolutely addicted to pedals and sounds and it was so fun to see you using the wah. <laughs> oh man. That's it. It was totally cliff burden. And that absolutely connects. That song actually crashed. There's, it's got so many different influences in it. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling a lot, like the cleaner sections, they've definitely got some Marcus Miller vibes. The yes. distorted sections have definitely got some Cliff Burton vibes. It's like, it's kind of a distillation of a lot of my influences into just like one melting part of a song. Can we talk about that beautiful bass that you're sat with there? This is a brand new signature instrument for you, right? From Schechter? It is, yeah. Yeah, so it's Man. called it's called the Schecter Charles Bear Two CB Four. Um, it's amazing. I absolutely love it. We designed it to be something that you can play in every style. It looks, I think, it looks really cool, and it doesn't look too much like one style. Like, right. obviously, you know, there are some bases where it's like that's a metal bass. That's <laughs> yes. a funk. Yeah, like, yeah, there are some bases that you can only play in a metal band. And right. I think this is a bass you would still look cool playing in a metal band, but you'd also wouldn't look out of place playing in like a, just cover, like a top 40 wedding band or something. It's like you can kind of play it wherever you want. And yeah, we basically just designed it to be something that is very agile, very playable, feels great to play. So it's got some pretty cool features like... Um, the, it's got a very deep cutaway up here, like so you can get to the 24th fret nice yeah. and easily. And that's very important for me. I play a lot of stuff up there. So that's very helpful for just agility up there. And then it's also got like a nice thin neck. It's 20 millimeters up here uh, and 22 millimeters here. And I actually don't have the biggest hands. So that is just another thing that helps me play fast. What's interesting to me is that you're talking about this thing being this versatile thing for anyone to play. I really like that. I think that sometimes when people make signature basses, they go at it or, or signature instruments in general. It's like exactly what they want that's going to perfectly suit them. But I'm hearing you talk about this sort of like broader kind of zoom out of like what's going to be a bass that everyone can play. Yeah, and I, I don't know, man. I just think that that's like very, the spirit of that is very nice versus like, what's going to be exactly the weird thing that only I'm going to like. And like, you know, deuces to everybody that doesn't like it. You know what I mean? Like, I like this idea. And was that your idea? Were you thinking you wanted to make a bass like the every, every player's bass? Yeah. Well, basically I, I'm not that picky when it comes to basses. Like, interesting. I know there are some people who yeah, they're incredibly picky and everything has to be exactly the way they want. <laughs> is, is that you? <laughs> Sharon is giving me the look. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, right. Yeah, but, you know, that's that's perfectly fine, obviously. Uh, but, yeah, so I wanted to make it something that I didn't want people to, like, go into a guitar store or whatever and look at this bass and think, oh, wow, that looks great for someone else. Like, that looks like an amazing bass that someone else could play, but not me. Like mm -hmm. I, I wanted it to be something a little bit more neutral, even though I do think it has some of my kind of flair and personality to it. I still wanted to, it to be a bass that someone else can buy and really make it their own. Um, 
because that's at the end of the day, that's one of the main things that I want to do with all of my channel and everything is just inspire other people to play this instrument, which mm. I think a lot of people still don't know how amazing the bass is. So I just wanted to make sure that like I, I was still, you know, I was still achieving that goal of like, I want people to, I want this to help people get into bass basically. So I want it to be very playable and I don't want it to, to look too much like, oh, this is just Charles Bear 2's bass and right. no one else can play it but him. <laughs> <laughs> well, the spirit of that is like very alive in you. And I can tell by the way you make content and by the way you are, are choosing to make, make like bass forward recordings and videos that it is about this thing of like, hey, check out this instrument. Not just like, oh, I'm going to, you know, make a record where it's in the back and, you know, properly performing its traditional role. Right. It's like upfront, absolutely in your face. And it's fun. <laughs> the videos are so fun. Right. So I just, I applaud that. I mean, I think the community is very fortunate to have you on its side. You know, it feels like you're on our side. Oh, Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just, a, that's such a fun feeling. I think too, you know, I mentioned this before and I'd love to see if you have um, any personal story of this um, for everyone watching you, who's just like, I could never, you know, and this dude was probably like this and always this amazing when he was really young and oh, I could never get to that level. Do you have a story in your past of when you really got when you were discouraged, I, I just briefly, for me, my first session, I got fired because I didn't know Beatles references. And there was this moment of the guy saying to me, hey, um, let's do something like McCartney and the bridge. And I didn't really know what that meant. And I pretended. And he said, let's be done and go buy. He told me to buy Hitsville USA and Beatles number ones and ingest that music and not call him back until I had done that. And then he showed me the door lovingly, <laughs> um, yeah. but I was fired and I went out to my car and I cried like I wept right <laughs> in the car, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then I went and I I'm so thankful for him. Actually, Matt Kirkwald is his name. I went out and I bought Beatles number ones and I bought Hitsville USA and I did that work and, you know, and we've been working together ever since. So it was a happy ending for me, but absolutely crushing in real time. Yeah. Do you have anything like that, that, that happened to you that really was pivotal in your career? Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's like one specific moment or like, yeah, a specific moment like that, where there was kind of a setback. I mean, I will say I've had to work really hard on everything. Like I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that I'm the most talented basis. Like I, I think there are people who pick things up more quickly than I do. And so I've had to work very hard. I've put in loads and loads of hours of practice. Um, so I think that's something that people should definitely remember when you know they watch my videos or anything is like, I, I spent a lot of time not being very good. I remember when I first started taking lessons with my teacher at Berkeley, he was so brutally honest and I actually really liked that, like, because hmm. it felt like it felt like I'd been only seeing this like dark, unlit path for a long time. Right. And then he was just like shining this light where 
I could I finally knew how I could improve. I could see a path in front of me. Dude, I got goosebumps when you said, you know, that he illuminated the path. Yeah. I think that takes so much humility and and like leaving ego at the door. I think there are a lot of people out there that are trying to impress their teachers or trying to sort of like fool them into thinking they're good. That when the teacher says, ah, this, this and this suck, and here's the path to get better at it. There are a lot of students, and I was even one of these students, that that was like, ah, it hurt. It stung, mm -hmm. even though you knew it was the right thing. Sometimes though that type of critique is like, oh, I, like I'm such a people pleaser. I want people to be like, oh, Ian, you're doing such a good job, you know? <laughs> but I love this spirit in you of saying this was refreshing. Someone saying, hey, here are the things that aren't great. Here's the path to greatness. Should you choose to embark on it? And you did. Yeah, I, I think I was so ready for it. I'm not exactly sure why. I think maybe I just hadn't really had such clear direction before mm -hmm. and i felt like i was working really hard but my focus was just in the wrong places like i wasn't i didn't know how to get my technique to a really great point and so yeah i think when i started lessons with him i honestly i was ready to just hear anything i was like you can you can tell me I've got to practice 12 hours a day and I'll do it. Like, I, I just want to get good at this instrument. <laughs> right. Oh, I love it at any cost. Right. Oh man, that's amazing. How, how much, just for people out there wondering, when you start arranging a piece for YouTube, like, um, like Crash, for instance, how much time goes into writing and arranging that, would you say, hour-wise? Right, yeah, writing and arranging, I, I try and do things pretty quickly. Uh, because YouTube, you, yeah, you've got to be kind of constantly- it's always coming. Yeah, you've got to like kind of constantly be putting out stuff on YouTube. Right. So with those kinds of slightly more involved originals with a lot of production and stuff, it's probably around a week, I would say. Because um, yes. what I'll often do now on YouTube is I'll, I'll probably spend like three or four days on something and then I'll record it and release it and- I'll firstly release it in sort of a more stripped down demo form where the production isn't quite as high level. And then I'll I'll film like a really nice music video. I'll really try and get the audio to a really great level. So that's maybe another few days of work. So yeah, it probably is about a week for like the more involved, like higher end originals that I've been doing recently. Yeah. Amazing. So, I mean, potentially like a 40 hour work week of, of uh, getting a no. 30 hour work week. <laughs> oh no, 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 more, more, more. <laughs> 80 hour work week. <laughs> well, I guess, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess I'm not only doing that throughout the week, but yeah, it's, it probably comes to like, I don't know, 60 hours or something like that. It's that's a good incredible. Of time. That's really a cool thing for people to, to realize that it is such hard work and investment and time. People out there that are thinking, oh, I, I want to start a YouTube channel. My son, who is eight, said that to me the other day, dad, I want to start a YouTube channel. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because it's so, now, you know, not everybody wants to be, you know, a YouTube sensation, right? But to do it at the level you're doing it, I think it's really cool to let people know that this is not an easy road. 
I think some people, especially in classic music, um, you know, traditions who are touring and, you know, making records think, oh, the content thing is easy. You know, mm. oh, that's an easy out. I've heard mm. people say like, oh, well, that's just making videos. Hmm. And man, nothing could be further from the truth, right? Like the amount of work that goes into making a weekly video, it's crazy how much work it is. It's also more exposed. Yes, absolutely. Okay, you can fix stuff in post, but also you're still exposed. Everything you say, everything you do is just, it there. lives there. It's yes. a completely different like psychological game than when you're on stage. Yeah, that's definitely a good point to bring up is that like everything you do is being seen by lots of people. And it's, yeah, you got to kind of block it out to some extent. Yeah. I, I feel like you can get a little bit wrapped up in kind of what people are going to think of the next song you put out or whatever. And that can, you can end up putting so much pressure on yourself that you almost just start doing the same thing over and over because you had like one thing that worked and you're like, well, I'll just do that again because that worked last time and hopefully it'll work again this time. I, I think the hardest part of it is just coming up with new ideas on a regular basis. It's definitely, it's, you know, it's definitely possible and it's, it's really fun, but it's just having it every single week is where it gets, it can be tricky sometimes. Part of the discipline of the craft, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Charles, are you ever going to take this show on the road? Am I ever going to get to come see Charles Bertu in concert, dude, just crushing a giant PA at a, at a venue? Yeah. I mean, well, next year, I've got a few gigs books actually next year. Uh, I'm actually not 100% sure <laughs> whether I'm supposed to talk about them yet, but there's some stuff happening in April. Um, and then there's going to be hopefully a lot of stuff happening towards the end of next year. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been a while since I've done a lot of live stuff, actually. Yeah. Pre-COVID, I was doing a lot of live stuff. That was actually my main thing before YouTube started taking off. Of course. Um, and then COVID happened. Right. right. Uh, <laughs> yes. And, and so... Yeah, since then I've been just so focused on social media and YouTube and stuff that live stuff definitely took a backseat for a while. But I'm I'm really I'm feeling that urge to go out and play in front of audiences. I actually did uh guest solo. Do you know the band the Omnific? No, I don't. You should check them out. It's it's a progressive, I'd say they're progressive metal maybe they're, they're not that heavy though like metal rock i'd say but it's two bassists and a drummer oh we will definitely check them out so I, I maybe i feel like i saw did you put some stuff up on um socials doing something with them yes i feel like i saw that but i, I wasn't connecting the name so i'm in boston and they did a show at the brighton music hall yeah and basically just a few days well i think actually a week before the gig one of the guys in the band I told him I was coming to the show and like, I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys. And then he like got me on the guest list, but then maybe three days before he sent me a message on Instagram and said, Oh, by the way, if you want to do a guest solo with us, like we'd love for you to come and do that. I was like, Oh, cool. Sure. Why not? <laughs> um, yes. So yeah, that was like a month ago or something. And it was really fun, but oh, I bet it, it got me, really hyped to do more live stuff in the future. Well, that would be a gift. 
I, man, it would be so fun to see your show and just be in there as a cheerleader and supporting <laughs> you. It's just awesome. Well, we've got at SBL, obviously we have a couple of courses of your tapping of like you going through an incredible trajectory of like starting out. If you've never tapped before, you can dive in to your courses all the way up to heavy, like arranging and some thoughts about, you know, doing more advanced things mm. on the base in terms of tapping. So anybody out there watching, check out Charles's courses on the SBL Academy because they're amazing. But also other than that, Charles, will you please let people know where they can go to support you the most? If you would need a new base, you should get the Schecter CB4. I can, yeah. I can vouch that it's a really great base. So that's available on the Schecter website and on you know Guitar Center and Sweetwater. But I think the Schechter website is probably the best place to get it. Um, yeah, in terms of supporting me, um, you can just check out any of my social media, whichever one you like the most. I'm on YouTube, I'm on Spotify, Instagram. I am kind of on TikTok, uh, <laughs> but any of those places, I'd love to see you there. And I'm posting there a lot. So hopefully you'll like it. Charles, thank you so much for being with us today. This was incredible. Thanks so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Oh, so fun. Sharon, Sharon, what do you got? I am amazed because I'm not great at double thumping and I'm not great at like generally like those, those are things that I'm just recently getting into. It's always nice to know no matter who you talk to, like the struggles and then you're like, you're hiding them. And then yes. you hear it from like the people who are like pioneering these things and just like mastering them and showing them and teaching them. And you're like, Okay, the pain is normal. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know. Yes, it, it just, man. Yeah, everyone's human and it's always nice to see that. Yes, thank you for your transparency around that. And thank you for like your humble spirit. It's just so, you don't know, you have an idea, but I don't think you know quite how influential and positive you are to this community and to um, all of these like kids coming up that are going to discover the base because of you. And man, I thank you for it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. I mean, that's always one of the best things to hear. I love getting comments or DMs to that extent. You know, people saying I inspired them to play bass and those those are the types of things that make me want to keep going. It's just such a great feeling. Awesome. All right. Hey, thanks so much for watching, everybody. We'll see you in the next one.